Welcome to the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jolkowski. I'm an author, speaker, and all-around self-love advocate. And this is the podcast that'll inspire you to love yourself. Hey, self-lovers. I have a really fun and juicy podcast episode for you today with our guest, Dr. Tara. Dr. Tara is a sexual communication expert. She's a professor of relational and sexual communication at California State University, Fullerton. She received her tenure at the age of 33. She's also an award-winning researcher and a sex and relationship coach at lovebites.co and also the host of Love Bites by Dr. Tara podcast that focuses all about sexual wellness and sexploration. Her work has been featured in Cosmopolitan, Women's Health Magazine, Insider, and other media outlets. She gave a TED Talk titled Become Sexually Powerful that highlights her 5,000 participant study examining predictors of sexual satisfaction and her journey from an anxious immigrant from Thailand to a confident sexpert. Her goal is to normalize sex talks and help people live a more passionate life and feel more sexually fulfilled through confidence and communication coaching. In this episode, she gives us tips for sexual communication as well as practices for enhancing your sexual self-esteem because it is so important to be able to communicate your needs and wants and just feel more sexually empowered as like an energy force, not necessarily the physical aspect that is optional, but I believe that as an energy force, it's just so liberating to feel comfortable and confident in your sexual prowess. I hope you enjoy this episode, and I have all of Dr. Tara's links in the description. She has a really fun TikTok and a sexual meditation for us to try by yourself or with a partner. So without further ado, please welcome the fun and juicy and playful and sexy conversation with Dr. Tara. Hi, Dr. Tara. Welcome to the show. Hi, Mary. It is my pleasure to be here. (laughs) Can we please tell them the story of the first thing you heard when you logged into the recording room. (laughs) Body count. Oh my gosh. Gosh. Uh, Okay. So my TikTok, I try to like normalize sex talks and just like sexual behaviors. And I would get a ton of comments and DMs like, what's your body count? I bet your body count is through the roof. I bet your vaginas will lose. I'm like, what the fuck? What gives you the right to just, you know, tell a stranger woman this? Uh, People are disgusting. For context, I wasn't like asking Dr. Tara what her body count was. I was binge watching her TikTok when she logged into the recording room. So she heard her own voice. (laughs) And I heard like uh, my assistant, I have my assistant film me on those like five quickies, which is like five quick questions about sex. And I just give a brief answer. And one of them was, what's your body count? And I said, that's a bullshit question. That is a bullshit question. Can I just straight up ask you about that? Yeah, ask me anything. Let's let's just chat. Okay, so the idea of a body count and the second part that you said, like, oh, you must be so loose. Is that, like, anatomically possible? Like, does your vagina get loose if you have sex a lot? No. Not at all. Nope. So that's a total lie. That is a total lie that the patriarchy created so that women wouldn't sexually explore. Mm, and I'm assuming it's the same thing for the term losing your virginity. Exactly. And that's what I don't like either because it's a negative connotation, right? And it's obviously not the same for men and women. Like for men, losing your virginity is a great thing. Like, oh my God, I just had sex, bro. Like they like high five, you know, like, yo, (laughs) high five, that's cool. For women, it's like, you know, it depends on which social group you're in, but most of the times it's related to shame. Yeah. And like, Oh, like, really? Oh, wow. That's so early. Like, you know, I shared in one of my TikTok videos that I had my sexual debut, which is the new term. We don't use uh, losing your virginity. Yes. My sexual debut was like when I was 16. And I had a lot of comments that were like, you were a child. I'm like, really? I mean, according to literature, 16 is the average. And actually, people are, you know, having their sexual debut nowadays at like 14. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. 
that is 16, I feel like is pretty average. I mean, me and all my friends were about that age too. Yeah. But here I wanted to talk about the like myth of body count mm. and loose vagina and why it is completely false. Think about mm -hmm. it this way. And I talk about this with my good friend, OBGYN, a lot. So mm -hmm. <laughs> if women can give birth to like a nine-pound baby, mm -hmm. <laughs> imagine how big a baby is, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, her vagina is not going to be loose from your six-inch dick, bro. <laughs> Wait, you just fucking killed me. I did not see that coming. I mean, I kind of did, but the way you said it. <laughs> Seriously. Oh my gosh. How egotistical are you to think, oh my God, my dick is going to destroy her vagina, man. No, we oh, give God. birth to eight, nine pound babies. <laughs> Your little wiener yeah. is nothing. It's cool, bro. And like, I'm not shaming men with, you know, whatever size, like, hey, like, you know, short kings. But, <laughs> but know, six inches is like average. Little pee pee king. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> uh, but the myth of like, oh, how many penis? No, like vaginas are so strong and it's a muscle. Mm. You think of like your m arm muscle. Like you can't just like completely lose all of the elasticity just from having sex, especially yeah. not with that size. Like, you know, regardless of how big your penis is, let's say it's like 10 inches. It's still not like a nine pound baby. Yeah, yeah. Like a nine pound baby is like three times as wide. Exactly. And if women can bounce back from that in like a month or two months or maybe three months, like a penis is nothing. There is no way that a vagina can be loose from... Yeah. Gosh, it just makes me so sad how many awful narratives were told growing up as little girls. I mean, we're not a child in a sense like teenagers. Like, Obviously, we sexually experiment, and I'm not saying that that's not normal, but at the end of the day, like we are children too, and we grow up. Like, I mean, I don't know about you, but I learned about sex when I was like 10 or 11, and it wasn't even formally in school. It was from like Family Guy. And um, <laughs> that was my first, that's my earliest memory. You are from Peter and Lois. <laughs> yes. That is literally my earliest memory of learning about sex and like the narratives that girls in particular get are so harmful and toxic. I mean, the ones boys get are toxic too, but I think they're they're toxic in like, like you said, an egotistical way, mm -hmm. not in a self-conscious way like they are for girls. Right. Theirs is more like, oh, it's a natural part of life. Oh, boys will be boys. Of course, you're 15. Your dick is hard. That's so normal. Like, you know? Yeah. Versus like for girls, like, oh, don't, don't give it away. It's a gift. Like, you don't want to like lose your virginity. Like, what are guys going to think when you finally get married? <laughs> yeah. And no guy is taught, like, don't take it from somebody, you exactly. know? Exactly. Exactly. And I want to ask you, so when you learn from, like, family guy, was it anything specific about sex or was it just, like, sexual parts? I think, okay, so this is the earliest, earliest memory. You're really digging this up for me. When I was 10, I was best friends with my neighbor who was two years older than me. And she was a great friend, nothing on her, but obviously her friends were older. Mm -hmm. So I remember one time I slept over at her house, like my neighbor's house, and she had her older friend over, or like her age friend. And so it was like me and two older girls, and we were watching Family Guy and something came up about sex. And I didn't know or like, yeah, I was kind of clueless. And long story short, they proceeded to tell me about it and like acted out with stuffed animals. And the thing that was like the most like off-putting to me is that I feel like the way they told me about it was just like really insensitive. Like they were obviously making fun of me that I was younger and like didn't know. And even though they were girls, I can't say that they didn't play into those narratives because they're taught them too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I don't remember like details beyond that, but I do remember leaving and feeling really scared, mm. like scared of sex in a way that I'm definitely not now, but like it was this really 
I think you know what I mean. Like it, it was just like, oh my God, something goes inside me like that. Is that going to kill me? It's kind of like how a lot of people find out about their periods. Right. Yeah. For me, that's how I found about found out about sex. Oh gosh. You know, our earliest memory typically has something to do with how we feel about sex like later on in life. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying like it sticks with you in a negative way forever. Like a lot of us have worked on, you know, sexual empowerment and body positivity and mm-hmm. loving our sexuality. So that work is definitely beneficial. However, like it's still something that you recall and is a part of you. I yeah. remember like when I was young my first memory of like sex, like penetrative sex, was this movie. It was an Asian movie. I don't remember now what ethnicity, but it was called La Belle, I think. And there was a sex scene where this woman, who is like the main character of the movie, she went on like this really secluded vacation home with this guy. And they started like kind of making out. It's like, it's all very noir. It's all very like soft and and beautiful. And then he like started fingering her. And <laughs> later on in life, like that was, so that was probably when I was 13 or 12. I don't remember exactly. But later on in mm-hmm. life, when I started watching porn, when I moved to the United States and I had high-speed internet and smartphone, when I started like watching porn more regularly, I was searching for fingering porn. Oh, so it connected all the way to the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So the first time I viewed something stimulating about sex have attached in my memory like, oh, that's sex. Oh, that's pleasurable mm-hmm. because I watched it in a movie. So now that's what I want. Yep. So I remember for the longest time, like many years, when I watch porn, I actually don't watch like penile vaginal porn. I watch fingering porn. Yeah. 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 Which is so, so interesting. And I actually have interviewed many people that have the same thing. Like whatever that first thing was, they still have. Like I talked to one of my guy friends and the first thing he did when he was a kid was he was like 13 and he jerked off to like Pamela Anderson. So ever <laughs> since then, he watches porn for like big boobs, yeah. like big tape yeah. porn. That's so funny. Do I watch family guy porn? Is this the confession? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, number one searched term last year for Pornhub was hentai. What is that? It's the Japanese cartoon porn. Oh, like the non, yeah, the animated, right? Yeah, the animated. That was number one. That is so, do you get that like from a fetish standpoint? What is that? What is that fantasy? I think it goes back to what I shared about myself. It's a lot of these, I assume, boys, the first time they had a sexual encounter like with themselves was with animal. Okay. Yeah, was with anime because how big anime is and maybe it's not even like, maybe it's not even porn anime just regular anime but you know like in anime the body stuff is so toxic like all the anime women have like tiny ass waist Mm -hmm. and like huge boobs and uh, they probably you know jerk off from those anime characters and now they watch hentai porn yeah and it just follows you well then for me if i'm being real honest i think my first like sexual encounter my first kiss was with a girl but it wasn't like just a kiss it was definitely like a really steamy closet situation mm-hmm. and my whole life I can only ever watch girl on girl like I will <laughs> sometimes watch a threesome and even then I don't really want to see a penis there's no other penis I want to see except for my partners like they kind of scare yeah. me so like till this day and he knows that about me and I'm you know more comfortable with my bisexuality now but growing up I always thought like you know it was always like bi curious or oh you just I don't know. You're just experimenting or Yeah, like it's just a yeah, phase. Exactly. And now I'm like, no, like my whole life, like I watched girls kissing on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that we're, you know, right off the bat being vulnerable. Like what what are we into? What do we search for on porn? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did not realize that it does trace back to like your first sexual experience. And that's kind of what just sticks as mostly all the sexual experiences, of course. Yeah. And what you just shared is so interesting because the second most searched term was lesbian. Okay. Well, I was one of those searchies. 
<laughs> and there was like trending terms and this was like 700% plus or something like that wow. and it was lesbian scissoring <laughs> wow okay well I can't say I'm a fan of scissoring because to me I'm like I don't see how that would feel good I've never scissored but like I don't know the friction I'm kind of like I'm a hairy Jewish girl it feels like that would start a fire so I've never really like watched that in particular but I see the appeal <laughs> I love that you're like, I'm a hairy Jewish girl. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Thank you for the description, Mary. <laughs> Even when I shave, I mean, it's still like 20 seconds later, it is prickly. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember how obsessed I was with having no hair when I was young. So I lasered since I was like 22. Mm. So now, even if I want to grow a sexy bush, I can't because I'm all lasered out. Yeah. I was thinking about that. Talk to us about body hair. Yeah, I think body hair is something that, you know, was evolutionarily developed for our bodies to protect ourselves from like pollutants and like other things in nature when we used to live in like hunter-gatherer days. But now with the social expectations of like, oh, you know, when you watch commercials for skincare, you never see a hairy arm, have you? No. Have you seen a hairy no. arm? <laughs> Exactly. So the beauty standards is typically set by the beauty industry titans, mm -hmm. right? It's not set by regular people. It's set by beauty industry titans. And who are these people? It's these people that own the conglomerate of, you know, L'Oreal or whatever, yeah. uh, like whatever makeup that teenagers use, right? And then also beauty magazines, Teen Vogue, Glamour, whatever like that teenagers used to read. And these beauty industry titans decided like hair was gross. So let's show hairless arms, hairless bodies, hairless armpits, right? Also, like deodorant advertisements are always non-hairy armpits for women and not just non-hairy. They're like beautiful. They're like the skin of a baby, which is not possible. Yeah. Like, I'm looking at my armpit right now. I'm like, that's not possible. There's lines. There's like <laughs> creases, right? So yeah, these people, they set the standard and we're teenagers consuming. People like you and the other people that are trying to help us critically think about why we should not believe in these beauty industry, fashion industry titans is so valuable because it's all fake. It's all airbrushed. Yeah. And if you really do some digging, you find stories like how Venus, the razor company, they weren't making enough profit just selling guy razors. So they're like, let's make them pink and let's make women believe they need them too. And then that's literally how they started selling the idea of women needing to shave. Yeah. And it's so, so ingrained. You know, I don't want to talk about it as in like, oh, I'm not a part of that. Like I'm above it. I'm not at all. I'm a victim of it. Like I lasered my whole body since I was 22. Mm, I appreciate that vulnerability. Something people might not know about me is even just three years ago, I lasered my armpits. Yeah. Yeah. Because we thought our armpits were gross. Yeah. There's like racist undertones to it too, right? Because like a lot of color, like what is it called? Pigment, right? Is in the armpits. And yeah, I being a hairy Jewish girl, I was always really insecure about that. And the only reason that I didn't laser my whole body is because I'm a baby about pain. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it hurts. It hurts, girl. I did like full Brazilian laser. Oh, I'm grateful I didn't lose the like senses down there. Does that happen? It happens for some people. <gasps> Wait, shit they don't tell you. That's actually a thing. From laser, you can lose your senses? Well, if it goes like way in there and if it's like too strong of a current, yeah. Wait, that's like really scary. It is. Yeah, it is. Like for some people that go to, you know, like a place where it's not legit, where the practitioner doesn't even have like certification or training, they literally just bought this laser machine off market somewhere on eBay and then start practicing in like a small town. And yeah, you can fuck up a lot of places in the body. Wow. And the same thing with so many beauty procedures like BBLs and injections. Like there's a whole black market for all that and people get really messed up. Oh, the BBL stuff where your butt like explodes. That's so scary to me where like, you know, there's a hole and like it leaks. Yeah, that gives me the heebie-jeebies. That's where I start like really 
crying and like feeling sick to my stomach because we think beauty standards are like all fun and games. And a lot of women are like, it's empowering. And I'm like, I get it. Like putting on lipstick can be sexy. Like I'm not against that. But then like all of it combined becomes this slippery slope of like, there are people who literally damage themselves. Yeah, yeah. It's all about research, too. I think a lot of people just go do it haphazardly because they're so eager to change. They're so eager to, you know, achieve the beauty standard that they've seen all their lives. So I get it, man. Like I get the psychology. Yeah. But at the same time, it's so dangerous to do it haphazardly, like anything at all. For example, you know, I know a student... So for those of you listening, I'm a college professor. So I know a student who went to get her lashes done from a friend who is just like practicing and she got glue all over her eyeball Mm. and she like almost lost her eyesight. She had to like go to ER and (gasps) yeah, and like fix all of that up. I mean, it was insane. So really, I think it's so icky. Like you just need to do a lot of research before you do something beauty related that is related to your physical safety. Yeah, for sure. Wow. That I didn't even know that either. I think there were a couple of gasp worthy moments that we've had in the past 19 minutes and (laughs) we haven't even (laughs) talked about you or your origin story. And I'm sure a lot of people heard like, she's a college professor. What? (laughs) Uh, So tell us more about that. After I talked about my body count and then the penis and then the loose vagina. And the porn. (laughs) Me watching fingering porn. (laughs) So now picture her as a professor at CSU Fullerton. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. What do you teach? How did you get into that? And I want to make sure we circle back to beauty standards and the insecurities we have sexually with our bodies and fostering some sexual confidence there. So we'll definitely come back to that. But tell us about your teaching career and your academia. Yeah, I love my job. I'm so grateful for my job. So a little bit about me. I'm from Thailand. I moved here for graduate school. I went for my master's and then I just really loved learning and researching and presenting research and teaching. So I went to get my PhD. My PhD was specifically in interpersonal communication. But even within that, I study relationships. So after my PhD, I applied for a bunch of professor jobs. So just a little lesson for people who are interested in getting a graduate degree and perhaps becoming a professor or work for industry. When you go for a PhD program, a lot of the PhD programs are free. What? Yeah, they are, no. Mary. Go back to school. <laughs> no, are you serious? I'm yeah. like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of my students are like, I can't afford it. I'm like, no, actually, uh, most PhDs are free. Wait, that's my biggest deterrent is I was like, I don't want to be a hundred grand in debt. Right. When I just got out of debt. Right. That's why I love sharing this because I know a lot of people deserve to go to grad school and they just thought they had to pay so much. Master's degree is typically not free, but the PhD programs are typically free when you get admitted along with stipend for being a TA. So when you get accepted to a PhD program, they typically also offer you to be an instructor because by then you already have your master's degree, you can teach. So in my PhD program, I was also teaching relational communication, which is like communication within a relationship, and then quantitative research, which is uh, statistics and surveys, which is my like major. So in the PhD program, I was studying more and more about, you know, how different groups of people interact, how people interact in a relationship. I published a research about long distance relationships and what are some best practices based on my focus groups. And I just like really fell in love with that kind of work. So when I graduated, I applied to a bunch of schools praying that I can live in California, specifically SoCal, because I love, love, love the sun and uh-huh. I can't do snow. Where where are you located? I'm in Arizona, so I feel you. Oh, amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like Arizona is brutal for like two, three months a year because it's so hot, but the rest is gorgeous. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I was praying like, please, please. Yeah. Arizona is great. SoCal. I would even go to Utah, but maybe yeah. not. But yeah, I basically got my dream job at Cal State 
University Fullerton, and I started teaching relational communication, which is communication within a relationship. And then I started teaching relationships and online communication. And then I started teaching sexual communication. And speaking of pleasure, today's episode is sponsored by a special, spicy, steamy company called Cheeks. Cheeks is an ethical and inclusive sexual wellness site that comprises authentic adult films, erotic audio stories, live workshops, and a taboo-breaking magazine. So back when my best friend and I first met, and we were just getting to know each other probably a couple months into our friendship, She suddenly turns to me one day and she goes, girl, do you, uh, do you watch porn? And I'm like, yeah, sometimes. And she goes, oh, thank God, because I thought I was the only one and I thought it was so weird. And I just want to let you know, it's not weird. However, we know that the porn industry can be kind of gross and there's a lot of shady and illegal stuff going on there. And this is why I am so thrilled to be talking about Cheeks because Cheeks is an ethical and inclusive sexual wellness site. So what this means is that there is diversity in the bodies that they show real bodies and porn as it should be with real couples, authentic performers, and romantic erotic movies. Cheeks presents real sex exactly as it is, loving, hot, dirty, and diverse. And this is the most important part, all the content that's available on Cheeks are produced responsibly. So they only show performers above the age of 18. They choose their partners very carefully. And the most reassuring aspect is that Cheeks guarantees a safe porn experience, ad-free, virus-free, and completely legal. The other cool thing is that Cheeks has four categories, watch, listen, workshops, and learn. So watch is pretty self-explanatory, but what I've been really enjoying is the audio stories. They're pretty juicy because you can listen to this story kind of like a sexy audiobook and then conjure up your own images in your mind. And I'm like a very auditory person. Chances are you might be as well if you're listening to this podcast. So you'll really enjoy those too. And I highly recommend taking a look at the workshops and articles because any taboo topic you can think of, Cheeks will explain it to you step by step. They provide just real and conscious education around sexual health and wellness. So with my code cup of tea, C-U-P-O-F-T-E-A, cup of tea, you can get access to Cheeks for 14 days free without any obligations when choosing the yearly subscription. Get Cheeks for free for 14 days by clicking the link in the episode description and use the code cup of tea. Note that the code works when you select the annual subscription option, but you can cancel anytime during the 14-day trial period. So go click the link in the description, or you can go to getcheeks.com. That's G-E-T-C-H-E-E-X.com, getcheeks.com, and make sure to use code cup of tea to try a free 14-day trial of Cheeks. See what a difference it makes in your body confidence when you look at real bodies and diverse experiences and accurate representation of what sex actually looks like. It's not all staged and perfect as it appears on some other movies and websites. So go check out Cheeks and hope you enjoy. Wink, wink. Okay, we definitely need to know more about that. But I also love how you brought up like, in case anybody's interested, we have a lot of people listening that might feel a little lost in life. You know, maybe they're in their 20s or 30s and they're looking for a career shift. And I would love to know like what your undergrad was and then like the thought process behind continuing into master's and PhD only for the reason that being that just like the fun fact about how PhDs are usually free a lot of people don't know that with PhD, correct me if I'm wrong, but you kind of have the freedom to almost pick your own, like you decide what you want to research. Like you can make up a field, basically. Is that true? It's yes and no. I'll explain how. So for the PhD, when you enter the PhD program, the first two years are all about taking classes. 
So coursework, it's very similar to undergrad, except for a lot more paper writing, researching, data collection, that like stuff that you don't do as an undergrad, right? Undergrad, you attend a lecture and then you take midterm and final. Yeah. And sometimes you write papers, but it's not a full-on empirical research paper where you have to collect data. In the PhD program, you have to conduct empirical research and write research papers, submit it to conference. Hopefully it gets accepted and go present it. So that's all a part of being a part of the academia. So first two, three years, it's not necessarily like you can research whatever you want. It's typically within the realm of whatever class you're taking. Mm, Okay. For example, like one of my classes was the dark side of relationship, right? So I had to research like jealousy and idealization of long-distance relationship. And that's like what I did with my focus group study and then I published it later. Wow. But even that field, I never knew that existed. I never knew that was something you could study in college. I never knew that that's a career path that people can pursue. Oh my God, isn't that so fun? Yeah. Yeah, there's all kinds of things nowadays because social science has really flourished in the last 40 years. Now there's people researching like every little thing. Yeah. So if somebody's telling you that a degree in communication is a waste of money, it might not be. It's most likely not because you know what? Most people are in agony for some reason is... 100% due to their communication issues. Mm. Most relationship issues are communication issues because whatever arises, if you are a competent communicator, you can find a way to collaborate, compromise, or solve the issue together. But because people are not trained to interpersonally communicate, they just couldn't cope. So most issues in life are communication issues. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people hear that and we're kind of like, yeah, 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 Uh, you know, because we've heard it so much. Yeah, exactly. They don't see it being applied. And that's why I love my TikTok and Instagram because I'm showing how, you know, me communicating about these things are helping to slowly change the landscape of talking about sex. Mm, So talk to us about that. So. I started researching and teaching sexual communication for now four or five years. And from my first research, I learned that most sex issues are communication issues, minus the medical issues that people have, in which like that is also a communication issue. Because when you do experience medical issues, when you're able to mindfully communicate with your provider, with your partner, the sex issue that you think you may have tend to be either alleviated or solved, compromised with a partner, right? So all issues are communication issues. So when it comes to sexual communication, think about it this way. We were born and then we grew up, we were adolescents and then we were teenagers and then we we became young adults. At no point in this life up to however you like, maybe you're up to 25 years old, you have had zero education about how to communicate in a romantic relationship about sex or in a sexual relationship about sex. You have never, ever learned about how to communicate about sex. And then all of a sudden, you're a young adult. You're supposed to be good at sex. You're supposed to be good at talking about sex. Most people are the age of five when it comes to sexual communication competence. Mm, Like we don't know anything. We don't know anything. (laughs) We don't know anything. And five years ago, I didn't know anything either. And it's hard to admit because especially for men, Mm -hmm. they're like, oh, no, like I know. I know this shit. Like I'm a player. (laughs) But like, no, it's okay to accept. It's okay to admit like, hey, we have never talked about this before. We have never received this education. Of course, we don't know how to talk about this. Of course, we're making mistakes all the time. Yeah. I remember with my ex, I was feeling very sexually unsatisfied, which P.S. I want to talk about that because that is so common in relationships and nobody talks about that. Right. Let's talk about that. (laughs) But real quick, I was feeling that way and I started doing research and then I was thinking about orgasms and I started just like hearing women talk about what an orgasm feels like. And I was like, I don't 
know if I've ever had that. And I just started like questioning everything that I ever thought about sex. Well, I came to him because I consider myself a fairly good communicator. So I'm like, okay, cool. Transferable skills. Let me figure this out. (laughs) I remember where I was. We were in the bathroom. I was sitting on the tub and I was like, hey, I, you know, I've been doing a lot of research. I feel like I don't know if I've ever had like a real orgasm. And I was very gentle about it. I was like, this is nothing about you. I just wanted to share and like, you know, work together, all that. And he looked at me dead ass like I was out of my mind crazy. And he shakes his head and he goes, no, you have. I would know. Oh, God. Oh, no. (laughs) And I'm like, you would know? What? And then he made some other off comment that I'm not even going to repeat, but it was very slut shamey. He was like, Well, with the amount of sex you've had, you've definitely had an orgasm. And I'm like, Okay. So that was like probably my earliest experience of like really being transparent with somebody only to get shut down. So talk to us about what healthy sexual communication looks like. And I want like full-blown scripts, especially for people who are feeling unsatisfied in the bedroom or feel like there might be something more to explore, but they're worried to bring it up to their partner. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I think, you know, a lot of women have had the same scenario as you. They just haven't shared it. And the fact that you did share makes people feel better about sharing. Mm. Well, you create a really safe space. I feel like I can tell you anything. Thank you so much. Yeah, I would I would love for you to share whatever you feel comfortable sharing. I can share the same thing like with one of my exes. I did mention that I was unhappy sexually and I wanted to open up the relationship. Mm. And for him, he was in denial and he wouldn't let me he wouldn't accept or validate the things I was experiencing, which is the, you know, sexual dissatisfaction. And even though he was just such a great man in other aspects, like he was always taking care of me. He was always, you know, in other sense, like in other aspects of life, he was so great, except for like when it comes to sex, he would gaslight me all the time. Well, that's, I think you hit the nail on the head there with that exact scenario is that People think that love and healthy communication and like a good relationship automatically translates to hot sex. Exactly. Healthy (laughs) sexual communication. And it does not. No, it does not. Although it helps significantly to feel safe in a relationship. Yes. And that comes from other aspects of that relationship. But all in all, you do have to still sexually communicate in order to be happy together long term. You can only fake your orgasm so long, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. I give you max five years. And then after that, you're going to not want to have sex. And I think one of the reasons why women or like people think women don't like to have sex or have low sex drive or have low sexual desire is because their partner isn't very good at sex. <laughs> you know, like when I, I love like, your truth bombs. <laughs> <laughs> when I was uh, when I didn't like sex, it was because it wasn't pleasurable. Of course, I'm not gonna initiate something that doesn't feel great. Yeah. Now that it is pleasurable, I initiate all the time. Hmm. What does healthy sexual communication look like? I think, like you said, it's important to feel safe in your relationship in general. But sex is almost like this different beast because even the story I shared with my ex, like. It was like a switch goes off in people's head. And the second they hear sex, they just turn into a different <laughs> person, it, whether that's good or bad. But like some people just flip a switch. And then we all know that like geeky, awkward person who's like a panther in the bed, right? Like that happens too. Or somebody is like perfectly, you know, communicative and and loving and all of that. And then it comes to sex and they just shut down. And I'm sure it all has to do with the narratives were fed and taught about it. What does healthy sexual communication look like? I love this question. And I really hope that after listening to this episode, everyone starts practicing these things because I want you to know it's not going to be smooth and it's not going to be easy the first few times. So like a little disclaimer, sexual communication can be difficult, but it's 
definitely something that we can all get good at. So now the number one characteristic of healthy sexual communication is that it is a dialogue. What does it mean that it is a dialogue? It means that you're not only just telling the other person in one way communication, like here's what I've been experiencing. Here's what I think you should do better. Here's how we should proceed. But make it a dialogue. Ask them questions. So for example, if you were sexually dissatisfied, how about we start with asking them? Like, hey, can I ask you a question? And also before you get there, definitely prime the conversation with like, hey, I want to talk about something this weekend. And then choose a time where it's like not a rush, right? Not like before you go to work or right after you come back from work because it might be, it might turn out to be a little bit heavy. So you want to be, you know, maybe go on a hike, maybe like hiking. I think being outside helps too. Maybe hiking, mm-hmm. maybe like date night where you you can really <laughs> hone in and focus on each other and, uh, you can talk. So definitely set up like the situation, the context. But the first characteristic is that it's a dialogue. I would recommend you ask them questions like, how are you feeling about our sex life? You know, like, can you be really, really honest if I ask you something? They might be a little taken aback, right? Because like, oh, why? Like all of a sudden you're like, whoa, can you be really honest? (laughs) But it's necessary. Someone has to be the courageous person who starts this conversation and that can be you. So how are you feeling about our sex life? And if they're like, what do you mean? I don't know. Give them some time because people don't think about these things. Mm -hmm. Give them some time. to. It's okay. Like, can you just think about it and tell me how you feel about our sex life right now? And if they really can't still come up with words, I typically help my partner or teach my students to help their partner by saying, how about this? Like, how would you rate our sex life this past couple months from one to 10? Mm -hmm. And hopefully you're in a safe relationship where people feel like they are able to share that rating because if they feel like they're unable to share this rating this can go back to they don't feel safe with you yeah right so let's say you're like you know this past month we've been so busy and we've just had so much going on or like someone got sick someone got into a a car accident whatever i feel like it was a six right then you can go can i share what i think they're like yeah sure you can go, well, yeah, I also feel like it's been a six because like ABC, explain. So definitely come to this conversation with like points already thought of. Mm-hmm. I love that you brought up the example of being sick because I'm currently recovering from this awful flu that I had for a week. So I yeah. feel like this is a timely conversation because obviously sex goes on the back burner. You know, we were yeah. sleeping in different beds, so I didn't want to get him sick. But like, what if you come to somebody with this rating and they say, like, say you're at a six and they say it's a two. I feel like I would cry. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's something you have to do. Maybe you have to cry. Yeah. I feel like it's just so scary. Or like, what if you come to them? This one is so common. You come to them and they're like, I think our sex is great. Why? And like, they're not feeling what you're feeling. Right then you would have to be the brave person who goes, I want to share with you how I've been feeling about our sex life. Can I share with you? Ask the permission, right? Mm-hmm. The asking the permission is so great because this is where the rule of reciprocity comes in, in theory of communication. When you ask people like, hey, can I share this with you? When they say yes, they already allow you to share this with them. So they feel like they co-own this information. Ah, like they asked for it. Yeah. 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 It could be used in a manipulative way. So please don't use it that way. (laughs) (laughs) But basically, if you want to share, you know, that you have been sexually dissatisfied, you have to premise it with, hey, you know, I have something that I want to talk about when it comes to our sex life. Can I share it with you? And if you're in a safe relationship, your partner hopefully says, yeah, like, please, now I'm intrigued. Like, I want to know what's going on. I would, Be as honest as possible, but at the same time, don't use the you language, right? Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's not like, you need to do this more. Well, you don't ever do this. Or you 
you are not really good at this. So instead of that, say, I feel ABC. I think we can ABC. So I feel like we haven't been very loving when we have sex. I feel like it's been a little robotic or mechanical. I wish we have a bit more passion and chemistry and take more time before we have penetrative sex to like really get into each other's like vibe. And I think we can start trying something new maybe this coming weekend. What do you think? Dr. Tara, I love that. That was such a good script. <laughs> Thank you. That made me feel so warm and cozy because it was like, here's how I feel and here's what I think we can do. Yes. Yes. And I love giving scripts because I don't like to just lecture. You should have communication. Like, yes, we all know we should. Yeah. And I think the word wish too, like I wish, it's kind of sexy. Isn't it? Yeah. I wish I can peg you in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> why are you so awesome <laughs> so, yeah like i feel dot 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 like i'm not getting um, pegged enough in i the wish <laughs> i feel dot, dot dot i wish dot 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 i think we can dot 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 mm, i really love that yeah because i think what's hard about sexual communication is that it's really easy to get resentful and passive aggressive about it and so the use just come naturally like i know if i'm annoyed i'll just throw it at him like in the morning during breakfast when he's on his way out to work. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just because like, like you said, we're not taught. So we're so clunky and in attempts to like protect ourselves, we use generally, I think a lot of women use passive aggressiveness right? or right, yeah. hopefully not aggressiveness. But because of that, it just, yeah, it manifests in this very unhealthy way. Yeah. So I really love this script. Thank you. I appreciate it. And also, you know, I wish we could all just say like, yeah, we're bad at sexual communication. Yeah. And like, that's a good starting point because if we assume we are good or we know, and then we end up disappointing ourselves and our partners. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say like, no, we have no education. Like, obviously I'm not good at this. So how can I start? Like, where do I start? And I think that the reason why we're so afraid of it isn't again it's so like nuanced and like deeply ingrained in like this quicksand of shame it's almost like the embarrassment like for me personally and i hear this a lot from people just in general most people's biggest concern with any type of communication or interpersonal relationship is they're afraid that something will be awkward i think that's like even scarier than it going bad, like if it's just awkward. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I feel like this is where sexual confidence tips, we can really circle back to that. How do you make sexual communication sexy instead of awkward, or you just approach it with more confidence instead of this like tiptoeing, I'm afraid to say what needs to be said? I love this question because my study based on 5,000 participants found that sexual confidence predicts sexual communication. So literally, when you're more confident, you have a stronger tendency to sexually communicate. It makes total sense, right? But like the fact that I found the significant result in that relationship, I was really excited about because now I have evidence to prove that confidence is so necessary. The reason why we're not communicating because we're not confident enough to talk about sex. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Therefore, like, how do we start talking about sex? I like that we talk about, you know, the framework of healthy sexual communication. But yeah, let's go back to, well, how can we even get there? Mm hmm. The people that are able to communicate about sex are the people who typically score moderate or higher level of sexual confidence. So what is sexual confidence? Because I feel like I see it in you and it's this, like what I see in you is just like nothing is off limits. You'll say whatever. You almost like detach it from yourself personally. Like you can say getting pegged in the ass and I didn't <laughs> hear that as in like 
you have this secret sexual fantasy to get me to that. <laughs> you do. I really love that for you. Um, <laughs> I love that for you. <laughs> but what I love is that with your five quickies, right? Is that what you call them? Yeah. Oh, I'm addicted to watching those. You're just <laughs> so like direct and to the point. It's like you're answering like just any other question. Thank you so much. I love doing those because I think it's such a great way to show not only like just to tell people you have to talk about sex, but to show how I can talk about sex. Sexual confidence based on academic definition is the trust in your own ability to have a successful sexual encounter and to communicate your sexual needs. So sexual confidence is the trust in your own abilities to have a successful sexual encounter and your sexual needs. So when you have that trust in your abilities, you can project it everywhere. Like I trust in my own abilities to show up at a sexual encounter and to communicate my desires or issues whenever they arise. So I am able to project that in like a TikTok video, right? Because I have that trust. I trust in myself. Mm -hmm. And that's confidence. Like, how much do you trust that you can have a successful sexual encounter and that you are able to communicate your needs? How do you build that trust? Like, what if you just, you feel like you don't have that? Love it. Love it. You're a great interviewer. Like, then how do you build that trust? So when I dig deeper into this research and I gather this data from the same data set based on 5,000 people is your self-esteem. So this comes back to what your work, to your work, Mary. Your self-esteem is the strongest predictor of your confidence. Mm. So now let's talk about ways in which one can develop a strong sexual self-esteem. Yes, give it to me. How can you be proud of your sexual self? How can you feel worthy of pleasure, worthy of connection, worthy of attention? Like right now, if I ask you, Mary, rate from one to 10, how much do you feel like you're worthy of attention? Oh, I'm a solid 10 on that. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Now, rate from one to 10, how much do you feel you are worthy of receiving pleasure? I think that's where it drops down a little bit, and I'm probably at around an eight. Okay, love it. Love the honesty. Now, third question. How would you rate how proud you are of the way your body looks when the lights are on? 10 out of 10. Perfect. <laughs> so see, you're at a high level of sexual self-esteem. So you're in a really good spot to be developing your communication skills and then start practicing. Mm -hmm. What if somebody answered pretty low, especially on the body looks? So what if your sexual self-esteem is low? There are, based on literature, there are studies that show different practices that help increase your sexual self-esteem. Are you ready? I'm so ready. <laughs> <laughs> Number one is positive self-talk. There's psychology research that shows how much our brain is a supercomputer and whatever we tell ourselves becomes the truth, the facts about ourselves. So are you saying to yourself that you're not good at sex? Are you saying, oh, I don't even know how to bring up my low sex drive. Like, I don't think I can do it. Then that's what you tell yourself. What if you shift that narrative? What if you consistently, every single day, tell yourself that you can? Yeah, because you can. Like, if other people do it, yeah, you can. Yeah, if other people can do it, you can too, right? Therefore, the positive self-talk or like basically positive sexual affirmation is what allows you to build a higher level of self-esteem through a period of time. It's not going to be like you say sexual affirmation the first day and you immediately feel high self-esteem. It's a process, right? Like anything else. Mm -hmm. So one that I really like that I tell myself almost every day is you have amazing sexual energy. When I brush my teeth and take my vitamins, I make it a point to look at myself for like three straight seconds in the mirror, like really just checking out, you know, myself, my hair, my face, my body, and really loving it and tell it and tell myself like, you have amazing sexual energy. 
What I love about sexual energy is that it's not all about looks. It's how you feel, right? Exactly. And like, I feel like sexual energy isn't just about sex. Like, you know, when there's somebody in the boardroom who has really good sexual energy because they almost just like carry themselves with this, like, just, I don't know, kind of like this ease or like, I don't know. It's it's sexy, not always in a sexual way. It's just attractive. It's just comforting. Oh my gosh, Mary. It's like we're sisters from different mothers. You are speaking my language. I always say that. I said, you know, sexual confidence. People think it doesn't matter because it's just in the sexual realm. Like, no. When you develop your sexual self-esteem and sexual confidence, it projects everywhere you go. You could be pumping gas and radiating sexual energy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It improves your life in like every way. Yeah. And it's all for you, you know, it's like... Exactly, exactly. You feel so good. You feel so good, you radiate that energy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very much attached to self-love, but being strategic too with like, oh, you have good sexual energy because we're trying to here improve our sexual well-being. Mm-hmm. So that would be one thing that I highly recommend people do. Now, the second thing that research found has helped people develop stronger self-esteem in general is doing small tasks and achieving those goals. Mm. And this is like, you know, 50 years of self-esteem research, Mm -hmm. right? Doing small tasks and achieving them allows you to feel accomplished, allows you to feel like, oh, I can do this, Mm -hmm. right? And it helps you build like that I'm worthy. And then the next step is, oh, I trust in my own abilities. Yep. So how do you start doing this? I always start with like more playfulness. So start with a small task. For example, if you rarely or never uh, compliment your partner's sexual parts Mm. or sexiness, Mm -hmm. start with that. Give us an example. I need to hear it from you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do. I tell my pot, oh my God, like he gets so many compliments. I tell him, like, your penis is so amazing. Yeah. And you know, he he giggles and he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I know. <laughs> and it's kind of like a little script, like little joke between us. But it makes me feel good. He looks like he's like a little boy again. Like when I tell him those things, he smiles so big and he flushes a little and he just giggles and he's like, oh yeah, I know. Uh-huh. And it just, it fills our hearts with just so much positive energy, but also at the same time makes me feel great that I did that and it received positive feedback. Mm, Yeah. Right? That's a huge part about self-esteem. It's like when you have a child, right? And you enroll your child in sports. It's good to compliment them when they can achieve little goals because it allows them to feel like they can. Yeah. So in the same sense of sexual communication, you have to be able to do little things and feel like, oh, I can do that. Then next step, I can like heat it up. And next step, I can do more. And then in the future, when you do encounter a sexual problem, you have the, oh, I can do this attitude and you can bring it up. What I love about the way you communicate is that you complete every sentence. So whether it's like, a positive affirmation like you have an amazing penis. <laughs> yes. There's conviction to it. And then in the same, you know, if you were to say, hey, I'm a little sexually unsatisfied right now, you also put a period at the end of that sentence. And I feel like it's almost the same skill. I mean, it is the same skill. It's just the way you communicate. And that's what shows up in your five quickies too. Like you say what needs to be said. I do. I say what needs to be said. And you're such a good observer. No, oh, thanks. Well, I admire you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. The last thing. So there's three things that we do. So positive sex, self-talk, which is the sexual affirmation. Number two, build little habits, like build little communication things that you can do and you can work on like step by step and then keep achieving those little goals so you feel good about yourself. And then, one of my favorite things to do, this is a tiny bit more advanced, but I really think anyone can start today, like right now, is sexual meditation. Oh, what's that? 
Sexual meditation is very similar to a regular meditation practice, except for the fact that you're focusing on your sexuality, your sensations, your sexual organ, and all the like sexy good stuff. Is there like a guided meditation, or is it a masturbation, or what? What is that like? Yes, dear Mary, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> uh, I have five and ten minutes guided sexual meditations on YouTube, and I highly encourage people to try the five minute first. Because remember our second point about achieving little things. Mm-hmm. Some people start with ten, and they're like, "Oh, I can't sit here." and meditate for 10 minutes. Like, don't do it. Do the five minutes. Okay. So start with the five minutes. Preferably, if you can and you feel safe in your own body and maybe you have a safe space where you can be naked, preferably naked. Oh, that's a really good idea. Yeah, yeah. Make it a thing. I have two versions, five minutes and 10 minutes and two types for solo and for couples. I'm going to link all of those in the description. Yes, please do. Because I think it's so beneficial. Like I do it. I do it with my partner. Like this weekend, if you have a little bit of time, do the five minute with your fiance. Okay. Okay. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I must know, do you do it to your own guided one? Yes. Like, is it your own voice? Do you sexually meditate to your own meditation? Yes, girl. If I had a voice like yours, I would meditate to it too. Oh my gosh, stop. <laughs> you're so sweet. I feel like your voice is such a radio voice. Really? I think I'm yeah. just nasally because I'm recovering from this flu, but thank you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you have a great radio voice. But yeah, I first discovered it through a friend who is a tantric specialist. Mm, what is tantra? So Tantra is, you know, an Eastern philosophy. Some people will say religious belief, if you will, depending on who you talk to. But it is a philosophy. And when it comes to Tantric sex, it's all about the energy. It's all about slowing down. It's all about not being goal-oriented. Like, let's just connect, cuddle, maybe penetrative sex, and experience pleasure without the goal of having an orgasm. I... I'm so about that. Yeah, a lot of people are because they feel like just focusing on that like orgasm, that climax is so much pressure. Can we just hang out? For real, I think like sex has just become like a thing to do. Yeah, it's because we watch porn. That's again yeah. like the problem. Like it's because we watch porn and people, you know, come into the room, stepdad, stepdaughter. Like that's one <sighs> of the most search items too. I'm like, ugh. That's <laughs> disgusting. And you know, the guy just goes, you come here. And then you just lift the skirt, penetrate, and you go bam, 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 three minutes, done. Like yeah. that, you know, the script that's like Tantra is like against that. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Would you say that the biggest like foundation of Tantra is that ability to slow down? Yes. Okay. Yes. Ability to slow down, connect with your breath, and synergetically connect with your partner's breath. I'm assuming this is an advanced practice, but is there anything we can do to like dip our toes into it? Like once we do the sexual meditation and we're we're trying to bring something in with our partner, something new to try, is, is that something you would recommend? Yes. Start with the sexual meditation. It has tantra practices in it. So one of the guided meditation is all about sexual breath work. And you do it with your partner. Okay. I love that. I'm so excited. We can do it naked. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I'm going to try it. Yes, please. Can you please report back? I will. I will. You're holding me accountable. (laughs) We will do it. My boyfriend's going to (laughs) be, he's going to be weirded out, but he's also going to roll his eyes because he's so used to my shenanigans. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to love it. This is a great experiment. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dr. Tara, for sharing your wisdom with us today and just being so open. I love the way we started the conversation with just getting real about our own experiences. And you just provide such a safe space on the internet. You're also so fun and, you know, playful. I love that (laughs) playful energy too. Thank you so much for having me here, Mary. I really appreciate it. You know, like talking to you 
feel so comfortable. And I have a feeling that all your followers and your family feel the same. Oh. That you're such a great person to talk to. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. I didn't even know we were doing like a podcast interview or recording. I just thought we were chatting. <laughs> I love that. I love hearing that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of communication and always learning from people like you and excited to bring that into the sexual realm too. So thank you for giving us those tools. Awesome. Thank you. I will link all your TikTok and the YouTube meditation and your Instagram. Is there anywhere else that we can find you on the internet or anything that you want to leave our listeners with? Yes. I'd like to leave the listeners with this one thing. Sexual communication is not easy, but everyone can do it and it takes the courageous one to start. And that can be you. Mm, Yes. And that'll create such a lovely dynamic, I bet. Yes. Yes. It opens up all kinds of positivity and possible things in your relationship. It's like a relationship stage unlocked. Yes. Love that. Thank you so much, Tara. Thank you, Mary. Bye. Bye. Hey, self-lovers. One last little thing before we farewell. If you've been enjoying the Mary's Cup of Tea podcast, I would greatly appreciate it if you could leave a a review. (laughs) I was going to cut that out, but we'll just keep it in there. If you could leave a review on Apple or rate the show on Spotify. Your feedback helps the podcast grow. And as someone whose love language is words of affirmation, your kind words mean the world to me. Just search the show on Apple, scroll all the way down where you'll see a place to leave a review. (laughs) And if you're listening on Spotify, on the show's homepage, you'll see a little star. And if you click on that, there'll be a pop-up box where you can send in your rating. Thank you so much for helping me spread the gift of self-love. And speaking of the gift of self-love, that is the title of my book. You can pick it up at any bookstore, including Amazon, Target, Barnes & Noble, small indie bookstores. All those links can be found at maryscupoftea.com slash book. Thank you all so much for learning and growing and continuing to be on this self-love journey. It's truly an honor to be here with you. I love you and I will talk to you next time. And please, please don't forget to leave a review. (laughs) Bye.